Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care. Good morning to you and welcome to the Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla and it's during this time every Monday that I like to speak to some of the world's top experts in their fields, whether it is hematology, pulmonology, Whatever ology, today we're talking cardiology. We're talking about our hearts. And it's not just about this little magical miracle pump that does so much. And it kind of cardiac, if you, if you look at the human body, cardiac muscle is different to any other muscle and material in your body. There's something special about the heart. This is the center where it all happens. When uh, when we feel broken-hearted, we feel it in our heart. When we feel joyful, we feel it in our heart. It's so much more than just this little muscular pump. So uh, I've called up an expert, and I'd like to welcome into studio Dr. Riaz Matara. He's a cardiologist. He's in private practice. And uh, thank you so much for making time to speak to me. How are you? Uh, good morning, Kathy, and uh, I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me this morning. It's a pleasure. How's your heart feeling? <laughs> Are you feeling my, joyful? Yes, my heart feels very <laughs> joyful. And you know, you're 100% uh, correct. Uh, the heart's not just merely a pump. It's also the seat of all emotion. And, you know, when we're younger and we fall in love and we have that warm, fuzzy feeling in our heart, Nobody can really show you where you actually feel that anatomically. And I think that's really our essence of who we really are. Really is. I mean, if, if, if the human spirit had to be somewhere in the body, I would say it's more likely to be in the heart than in the brain. That's correct. So I think your brain is where your uh, analytical side of your body sits and where your reasoning sits. Uh, and when we fall in love, of course, all reasoning goes out the window. <laughs> That's 100% <laughs> correct. <laughs> Dr. Matara, I want, let's talk about heart health. And I think probably the best place to start is talking about the risks. Risks in our everyday life. Mm. You know, our lifestyles certainly don't seem to support a healthy heart. Um, what would you say are the top risks for heart health? Right. When we look at, at, at heart health, it's really the same for all medical conditions, really, uh, Kathy. Uh, we have to look at the interplay between our environment and our genes and our physiology and how that ultimately presents with a symptom sign complex that we would call an illness. So by the time we are symptomatic, there are already six stages prior to that of when the process has actually started. So when we look at risk or risk factors for, I I would say, not just heart disease, but cancer, autoimmune diseases, depression, anxiety, and so on, then we have to look at what we get exposed to in our environment. So, for example, you know, what is it that we are eating, or these days, really more importantly, what we are not eating? or not getting in a form of nutrition in our diet. Secondly, where is it that we live? Okay, and and, and do we live in a polluted environment? Do we live in environments that are very 
have harsh weather extremes, very cold, very hot, and these can influence our genetics. Um, do we work in environments that are polluted? Do we get exposed to heavy metals or toxins? Okay. Are we exposed to chronic infections like parasites and tuberculosis and so on? And probably today the commonest reason of why people are unwell relates to emotional stress, what we get exposed to in our environment. So, for example, things like death of a family member, death of a child, divorce, uh, divorce moving uh, house, correct, moving yeah. house, financial problems, crime, relationship issues that then influence uh, our DNA. So we are able to switch on light switches in our DNA that then trigger downstream consequences in our body and that would then cause what we call illness or or a disease. Yeah, because those, those little switches which uh, take you out of crisis mode mm. um, I think it generates cortisol. Is it cortisol? Yes. So co- And cortisol should only be short term but because of our lifestyles it's long term right does that does that affect so, our heart yes so you raise a very important point so we have two nervous systems in our body so you know we talk about yin and yang and positive and negative similarly in our body we have two nervous systems one called a sympathetic nervous system and the other is called a parasympathetic nervous system. So your sympathetic nervous system is designed to save your life. So if a snake is biting you, if you are getting attacked, if you're doing five minutes before a bungee jump, you have this massive release of adrenaline into the body, and that's designed to uh, to save your life, to it's make your you survive. It's your right? Your Correct. adrenaline. Correct. But at the same time, our adrenal glands that sit on top of our kidneys also make counterbalancing anti-stress hormones called DHEA and cortisol. So when your adrenaline levels go up, these anti-stress hormones have to go up as well as counterbalancing hormones to prevent the adrenaline from damaging our body. Now, that's okay in the acute situation. So if you look at it from thousands of years ago, our adrenaline was only really designed to go up if we were hunting or if we were being hunted. And then it had to come down and, re- and, and rest, so to speak. But if you look at our lifestyle today, from the time we get up in the morning till the time go, we go, go to go, bed go, at go, night, go, go, go. yes, our adrenaline levels are high, not necessarily sky high, but they are high. So it demands that our, adrenal, our adrenal glands constantly make more and more anti-stress hormones and our body can't keep pace. So over time, these anti-stress hormones like cortisol go down. So we end up with this imbalance in our body called sympathetic overdrive, which means having too much adrenaline in the system. And as a consequence of that, we then feel the mental fatigue, the muscle aches and pains, the palpitations, anxiety, And if it is over a long period of time, this excess adrenaline constricts our blood vessels and our blood vessels heal that way in a constricted state. And that's all that high blood pressure is. It's an imbalance or a chronic imbalance between having too much adrenaline and not enough of the anti-stress hormones in our body. In 10 years, you have explained high blood pressure and hypertension to me better than anybody else. <laughs> and exactly why okay. our blood vessels constrict. Yes, it is simple. You know, everything in life is cause and effect 
and action and reaction. So if your adrenaline levels are high and your blood vessels are constricted, because that's what happens when we're running away from a, a dog or a snake, you move blood away from uh, non-vital organs. organs to vital organs. Yeah. Okay? So when our adrenaline levels are chronically high, the body assumes that the blood vessel wall is quite thin and it will rupture if it remains in that state. So as a healing response, your body thickens the wall of the artery. But the problem with that is that once it thickens, it remains thickened, and then the compliance of the artery is reduced. So it cannot expand and contract normally. And if it's healed that way in a constricted state, you now have a high resistance to the forward movement of blood out of the heart. And that's all that high blood pressure is. So as doctors, we just, you see a patient with high blood pressure and you're just ready to write that blood pressure pill. Okay. But we haven't assumed or found or got to the why in the first place. If you actually sit and ask a patient, what were the stresses that you got exposed to? Or what were these chronic emotions or fears that have we been exposed to in our lives? Okay. Maybe our, my business went bad and I lost a lot of money or I have a lot of stress or I have labor issues in my business or I mean, I you're even talking about fears. So yes. it could actually be not even something that's real. In that Correct. a fear is as real as it gets. It's For sure. just fear of something happening. Right. So ultimately, as you know, there are only two emotions, core emotions, love or fear. And then it becomes our reaction to our fear as a healing response that over a period of time makes us ill. So it's the same thing as adrenaline, as stress and anti-stress hormones. We get ex- acute fear is good for you. It saves your life. But chronic fear that we internalize and store in our subconscious because that's all that an anxiety attack is, is your body's physical response to a stored fear in your subconscious. Your body tries to heal you. It has to make sense of it. And this is why it would wake you up at 4 o'clock in the morning or it comes completely out of the blue when you're actually not thinking about anything stressful. Now, in the early stages of anxiety, your systolic blood pressure, which is that top reading, is high, but your bottom one is normal. But over time, as this progresses and goes on and on, both the top and the bottom reading are high, and that's what we would then call true hypertension rather than reactive hypertension or high blood pressure. Do you have uh, any stats as to how many or any idea as to how many people in South Africa are suffering with hypertension? Yeah. So as South Africans, we have the highest rate of high blood pressure in the world. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Look yeah, at our lifestyle. For sure. So 78% of people over the age of 50 have some form of high blood pressure. Now, the, that's a scary statistic in its own right. But the scariest statistic is that less than 8% of people who have high blood pressure actually have their high blood pressure controlled in our country. Silent killer. Correct. So it's one of the silent and Im- very important so, you know, high blood pressure doesn't just affect the blood, the big blood vessels and the heart. It can affect your eyes, can affect your kidneys, uh, increases our risk of stroke and so on. So the complications associated with chronic uncontrolled hypertension are catastrophic.
You're on 101.9 High FM. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is the Diskem Medical Monday, and uh, we're talking about the heart. We're talking about the heart, your heart's health. And uh, unfortunately, we aren't live today, so we're not going to be able to t- to take your your messages and your questions. But I just want to tell you that my guest is cardiologist Dr. Riaz Motara, and uh, yeah, he's got he's a cardiologist in private practice. Um, he's based in Houghton. Want to get in touch with him? Good idea. <laughs> Actually, maybe we can give your contact details at the end sure. um, if you're happy to do that. So we're speaking about the risks, the risk, the risk factors to our heart's health. We're talking about, you know, lifestyle. What are the counter? What could we actually do to counteract? Um, lifestyle stresses. I mean, if we're living in South Africa, right? Um, firstly, I think politically, it's a very, very stressful situation, and that is something out of our control. Mm. It's going to cause stress within us. The best way to deal with stress is deal with the situation. But if it's out of our control, and we we know it's out of our control, what could we do to help our body to deal with stress better? Right. So, look, I mean, that's a, a loaded question, but I'm going to try and explain it as, as, as simply as I think I can, uh, Cathy. So, look, I think the important thing is when we look at risk or risk factors, we can, we can talk later about nutrition and, and, and diet and sure. uh, what we eat and don't eat and so on. But as I said, the commonest reason has to do with our, how we respond to our emotional stresses and mainly this big emotion called fear. Now, in order to, there are many things you can do to try and create that balance between those two nervous systems that I've been talking about. And meditation, simply 10 minutes of meditation a day, whether it's in the form of prayer, whether it's in the form of a walking meditation, a guided meditation, uh, uh, drinking or having a tea meditation. There are so many different types of meditations you can do. But 10 minutes a day of just silent reflection and breathing has been shown to significantly improve things like blood pressure, improve heart health, um, reduce the risk of cancer and depression and so on. So that's the first thing that you can do. The second, I love that. The second thing is to, to consider uh, breathing exercises or breath work that are actually more potent than meditation in actually creating the balance in the two nervous systems. Now, I'm not an expert in terms of breath work, but there are a number of breath work practitioners out there, and I'm sure you can find them, that would be able to teach you simple exercises to do with your breathing. So, for example, maybe short inhalations and long exhalations okay, have been shown to, to create this balance between the two nervous systems in the like body. Like reverse Lamar's. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. Because in effect... There is no medication to block um, adrenaline production in your body. And you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that, correct. But what you do, this is why when you go on holiday and you lie on the beach, you actually feel amazing because you don't need such high adrenaline levels and it allows both systems to compensate and to balance out. So the one way is to elevate your cortisol and your DHEA levels, but at the same time you want to bring the adrenaline down. And the only thing that brings adrenaline down is meditation, okay, specific breathing exercises, and then the third component would to be to ensure that you try and get adequate amounts of sleep. 
okay, and to try and create a sleep cycle in your body, what we would call a circadian rhythm linked yes. to the day-night cycle of where you try to go to bed more or less the same time every night. Because, again, it's all linked to sunset going back thousands of years where the first hormone that we made was melatonin, okay, in response to doctors roughly at the 8 o'clock at night. You know, then the next big hormone you made was growth hormone at midnight. And then you have a start time for cortisol at 4 so o'clock in the morning. So the, the body's got Correct. natural biorhythms, but our lifestyles are counterintuitive often. Um, to what would naturally be happening in our body. That is correct. And, and, and it's like when you get jet lagged, it's not just the lack of melatonin, which is your sleeping hormone, but all your hormones move out of sync. So it's this imbalance in the circadian rhythm that would then also influence what happens to our body from a stress response. So you want to ensure that you try and get enough rest or sleep because that is your body, um, if you understand that everything in life is a frequency or a wave, so to speak, so that during the day we up on the wave and then at night we have to go down to rise again. Right. So you have to be able to create that balance in your life in terms of having enough sleep. Now, some people may need four hours, six hours, eight hours of sleep, but I think everybody knows their bodies to know what is an adequate amount of sleep for them. So sleep is a crucial component of creating that balance, but otherwise... And it's um, quality, I suppose, yeah. not only hours. Yeah, How long are you sleeping for? Tossing and turning for eight hours yes, is not going to be as good as, you know, three right. solid hours of sleep, Correct. I suppose. And then meditation and breathing exercises, uh, and then also just to be careful of exercise. Because when your body has the sympathetic overdrive or imbalance, the last thing you actually want to do is go and do a spinning class. Okay, or do interval training where you're doing uh, high intensity exercises because remember, all exercise is a form of stress response on the body. Really? You, yeah, you elevate your adrenaline levels when you exercise. Okay, you need to constrict your blood vessels to get the blood moving around fast enough. The top blood pressure reading is high during exercise. So, the Just your recovery is quicker, right? Yes. So the type, well, it may or may not be, but the type of exercise that's actually more important for people who have this imbalance or, or feel that way would be simple exercises like walking, um, uh, yoga, uh, maybe a bit of Pilates uh, and stretching and those types of exercises. But you really, you want to do low intensity but high-frequency exercises rather than the other way around and do high-intensity exercises because high-intensity means you're running away from the lion. You see, you don't see a lion get up in the morning and say, today I feel like going out for a jog because they know it's wear and tear on your body. So exercise is actually a good thing. But moderate. But in moderate exercise, low-intensity exercises, but more frequently. Okay? Our bodies were never designed especially in today's world, to be able, for the lifestyle that we have, for the type of exercise that we're doing, because we aggravate the entire process. 
Absolutely incredible. My guest is Dr. Riaz Mutara. He's a cardiologist in private practice. I'm Kathy Kayla. We're talking about heart health. Uh, unfortunately, we are not live today, but uh, I do hope that you enjoy this uh, this program about the heart. And if you've got any questions, then you can contact Dr. Riaz Mutara. He has a private practice in uh, in Houghton, Johannesburg. We're talking about just getting back to risks. Can we talk about um, nutrition. You, you've mentioned nutrition a few times. Now, if we look at n- nutrition today, just like we have high-intensity exercise, which is not necessarily very good for our heart, we also have high-intensity diets where there's like no carbs. Carbs are the right. new, I don't know, the new straws, the new, <laughs> I don't know what they are, but cars, carbs are a no-go. Then we've got, uh, you know, other diets. Mm. What's your thought? Right. So diets, even more than that, rather tell yeah. us what you know. Right. <laughs> <First>. <laughs> so diets are confusing in itself. Um, I, I think not necessarily. I think there's just too many diets out there, and, and generally it confuses people. And we have to look and say, well, then what is an ideal option for 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 people to uh, follow? So high protein diets were not good for your body. Because as a consequence of eating too much protein, you create too many keto acids. Now, there is a difference between what we call ketoacidosis mm-hmm. and ketosis. These are people confuse these the, the, the two. Ketoacidosis means that the, you change the pH of your body to an acidic pH. So the protein is broken down. Ooh, but you don't want that, do you? You really don't want that because you don't want your body to be in an acidic environment. Remember, take a urine infection, for example. It can never happen in an alkaline environment. It will always happen in an acidic environment. Gallstones, kidney stones, cancer. gout, even cancer, cancer acidity. loves acidic environments. Cancer cells cannot grow in an alkaline environment. So the minute you consume high protein, you create an acidic environment. Okay? That's the first problem with consuming a high protein diet. The second problem with consuming a high protein is the quality of the fat in the protein. Now, you really want to consume omega-3 rich fat in the protein rather than omega-6. Omega-6 rich fat in the protein is pro-inflammatory. It creates this micro-inflammation or chronic inflammation in our bodies. So you do not want to eat any grain-fed animal protein. A cow, for example, was never designed to grow up in a feedlot and eat grain. It was designed to eat eat grass. grass. This is why when you eat venison, your cholesterol goes down, but you eat beef. And your cholesterol goes up. They're both herbivores. And remember the saying goes, you are what you eat. So if you eat grain-fed animal protein, your cholesterol will go up. So I have diabetic patients, when they eat, for example, grain-fed beef or grain-fed chicken, their sugar goes up. But if they eat... But it shouldn't because all all you're eating is protein. But you're not. It's the fat in the protein. Okay? That's the important part. So... When you eat grass-fed karoo lamb, for example, in a diabetic patient, their sugars are controlled. So we were not designed to eat chicken that grows in 31 days that are fed antibiotics permanently and and grain. Because grain, the fat that comes out of grain is an omega-6 fat, which is pro-inflammatory and will push up your cholesterol. So 
the idea is to, if you are going to have protein today, unfortunately the problem is that grass-fed or traditional protein, even the salmon that we get today, even oh, though farmed Norwegian salmon. farmed Norwegian salmon. Look at the if, fat in that compared to correct, normal salmon. Correct, to wine salmon. Wild so corpse, this is yeah. the same problem with salmon today is that it's omega-6 rich fat and not omega-3 rich fat. You want to eat omega-3 rich fat. So mackerel, okay, is a good source of omega-3 rich fat. Lamb, although it is a fattier meat, okay, is a source of omega-3 rich fat. Irrespective of you know, um, whether it's fro- karoo lamb no, or you want to, you want to grain get a good, bread. Sure, I mean, you don't want grain. Sh- nothing do we need to check it fed. with our butchers? Yes, you want to make sure that this is grass-fed animal protein. You want chicken that's, you know, f- uh, chickens that run around, these farm chickens that have... Um, is it like free-range? Free, well, actually, free-range is not free-range. I, I know, really, that's, th- that's because, a whole other misnomer, yes, isn't it? Yes, it's a misnomer, yeah. You want chickens from a farm which are often very difficult to get. You will not find it today. Okay, you want to get eggs from those chickens. So any protein that comes out of grain-fed animal protein is omega-6 rich fat and is not good for your body or not good for your heart. That's such a great rule. So to give you an example, okay, if you look at a cow that is grain-fed versus grass-fed, the grain-fed cow has 80 times more omega-6 than omega-3. Okay, so it should be the opposite. You want to eat... Uh, high omega-3 rich fat. So, coming back to the diet, you really want to eat a higher fat, medium protein, but low refined carb diet. You get your carbs from fruit and vegetables and unrefined sources of carbohydrate. But refined sugar is a killer for us today because refined sugar is in everything. drives up a hormone called insulin from our pancreas and this insulin resistance is what will then ultimately give rise to obesity and us gaining weight and will create will eventually cause diabetes so the idea is higher fat medium protein low carb but the high fat means always omega-3 rich fat now you have to be careful if you're on a higher fat medium protein low carb diet if you eat too many carbs with too many fats you will gain weight so what you're saying is absolutely mind-blowing. Right. I've never heard anybody say it, and it is ringing true. It is ringing true that not all protein is equal. Correct. Grain-fed animal protein is a no-no. Right. And, that, and that is irrespective of whether it is Norwegian salmon, because those pellets that they feed Correct. feed them is... Grain, it. it's, it's made from grain. Right. You have, to grow the them, you have to grow them quickly, yeah. you see. So, um, so they put all sorts of things in there. They put bulking and they put all sorts of things. Yeah, if you really want to read a good book, there's a book called The China Study that has been pub- published by father and son, the, uh, the doctors Campbell in America that wrote the study. And there's 25 years now of data, okay, to show that we were not designed to eat protein. If you look at the strongest animals on the planet, like a rhino and an elephant and a gorilla, they really don't eat protein, okay? So the idea is to limit the amount of animal protein to roughly 10% of your diet, okay? And make sure if you are eating animal protein, then it's omega-3 rich fat. Avoid seed oils, like sunflower oil and canola oil and margarine. What about grapeseed? Grapeseed oil is a lot better because it has a very high heating point. But um, coconut oil is equally good, and olive oil would be 
um, below that. What about palm but, oil? But you really want to avoid those oils. You want to avoid all the omega-6 rich cooking oils, and most definitely you want to avoid margarine because it's high in omega-6. It may be trans fat-free, but it's high in omega-6. So you want to have more traditional butter, okay, hardened uh, like butter. Isn't that interesting? That butter is better for you than, or ghee, yes. than, than uh, margarine. Yes, because if you look at margarine, margarine will say 0% trans fats, but they don't tell you what the omega-6 content is. Now, Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. Omega-6 is, pro. is pro-inflammatory. Okay, So you really want to reduce this micro-inflammation and chronic low-grade inflammation. And all the studies that are being published now, finally, we've understood this for so long, Okay, but finally all the studies are now showing that you really want to, from a nutritional point of view, avoid foods or oils or proteins that are going to increase microinflammation in your body. So remember that when you have acute inflammation, like when a bee stings you, that's actually good. Your body's trying to heal you. Sure. It's a, that healing response. But when we have all this chronic low-grade inflammation in our body, your body still start, tries to heal you. And then it's the healing response gone wrong over time that actually creates the disease. It's your body trying to heal you. And it can't stop because the source of the inflammation remains the same. So if you look after World War II, what has changed really for us as human beings? What has changed in our diet and our lifestyle? And why do we have all these chronic lifestyle diseases? Then there's a few things that have changed or happened in the last 60 years. Sugar is a big one. One is the amount of sugar that we consume. So prior to World War II, the average human consumed maybe two kilograms or three kilograms of sugar per year, mainly in the form of things like fruit and honey and so on. The average person on a Western diet today consumes 60 to 80 kilograms of sugar per day, a year. Okay. That is terrifying. The next thing that changes, we change the way we raise or farm animals, like beef. Okay. We've created feedlots of where they are fed grain and they are fed hormones. Okay. Right. So and if sometimes they fed other animals protein. Correct. So if you look at the cows, get estrogen. Now, we as men eat this high estrogen or xenoestrogens in the meat. If you look at male fertility or sperm counts in the males from the 60s till now, it's dropped by 80%. Okay? Because we were not designed to be exposed to high estrogen and levels. testosterone deficiencies, which is becoming more prevalent Correct. as well. The same thing happens to women, okay? If you look at things like breast cancer and so on, why is there so much more breast cancer? What are we exposed to from a dietary perspective? So those xenoestrogens or environmental estrogens over and above the high estrogen that you automatically have, okay, then exposes breast tissue, endometrial tissue to higher estrogen levels. So it's not, that's why I say try and eat less animal protein in a traditional form of animal protein. Avoid highly refined sugars and starches. And then the third big thing that happened after 950, because of farming methods and over farming the soil, the fruit and the vegetables do not contain the nutrient value that they contained 40 years ago. So if you look in a sunny country like South Africa, 98% of South Africans have low vitamin D levels. As a consequence of... Which makes no sense at all. Correct. As a consequence of eating 
called as grain-fed animal protein, we have suboptimal vitamin B12 levels. And as a consequence of having low vitamin B12, we have high homocysteine, which is a waste product that we don't need in our body, and that homocysteine triggers that chronic inflammation again. So it's very easy once you understand the basic physiology of how the body works, and then you look at what we get exposed to in our environment. So you really don't want to go from one extreme to another extreme. You really just want to find uh, a balance in your diet. So if you're going out to a restaurant and you really feel like having a piece of grain-fed steak, have it. But you can't do it all the time. Okay. So the trick here is to go green, so to speak. Have your fruits, have your vegetables, have your seeds and nuts, have your lentils. Have some animal protein, preferably oily fish. Okay, wild fish and game fish, and if you are going to eat a grass-fed animal source of protein. This is, and the way you know it when you buy the meat is if you look at the fat. If the fat is yellow and soft, it's more than likely grass-fed. If it's white and hard, run. It's, run. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than likely grain-fed. So yeah. the idea is to eat a traditional source of animal protein if you're going to have it, but generally go green if you can. Okay, and your body will adapt and find its way. And then you have to look and say, well, perhaps maybe I would like to supplement with an omega-3. I may want to have a multivitamin three times a week, uh, although you can never get enough of what you need in one tablet. Okay, and look and see, eat the fruit and vegetables that are in season. Look and see what is fresh, what has been picked recently, what may still have sand on its roots. Okay, but if you're eating uh, apples, for example, you're getting last year's apples. Okay. Not only that, they're covered in wax. Correct. To keep them preserved. Yes. Right. And they were picked before they were even ripe. Right. Ripened, and they were ripened so in the in the back of a truck, right? That's 100%. how we do it. So the idea is to be able to, you see, you can understand it because there's just too many people to feed on the planet. In order for a pre-vitamin or pro-vitamin to become an active vitamin in a fruit, it has to ripen on the tree. It's not going to happen today. There's just too many people to feed. So... If you understand where food is or what food is today and what it, where, from where it has come, and if you look at our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and what they ate, and they lived long, and they never had these lifestyle diseases. So from a nutritional point of view, you want to really find that balance. Try and eat omega-3 rich food sources, reduce the amount of refined sugars and starches, and try and replace the micronutrients that are missing out of the fruit and the vegetables where possible, and generally then your body will react to it. So in effect, your, our bodies are reacting to what we don't have in our body. Your body is trying to compensate for what it doesn't have. And this is to think differently is that it's not, uh, how can I say, like a bug that bites you. It's the reaction of our body, the healing response of our body, trying to compensate for what is missing in our body that actually makes us unwell, makes us chronically tired, makes us not sleep well, okay, drops our immunity so we're now prone to a host of other problems. Okay, and then chronic antibiotic use that kills all the good bacteria in our bowel. Okay, and we have yeast or candida overgrowth in our bowel, and candida cannot digest wheat. And in the process of trying to digest the wheat, it makes bubbles. So we get bloated and we have irritable bowel syndrome. Okay, so 
You know, we're just making things worse for ourselves. <laughs> I'm not trying to be the. <laughs> no, the, I'm just. The, I'm the, just thinking because everything sure. is connected. Everything is connected. This is what I'm saying to you. And the body's nothing short of miraculous. It is the m- ultimate. Correct. De- designed machine. Yes. That it tries to correct itself. It tries to. It tries to. And then we intervene. Yes. So <laughs> we have. There's a term that we use. Uh, called homeostasis. Right, that's, homeostasis that's is when you have a happy environment in which your cells live and work. So your body constantly, this is one of its purposes, is constantly trying to create this homeostasis or balance within our bodies. And when our diet or our nutrition or our stress in our environment is imbalanced, the body has to make sense of all of this to compensate. And it then, as a consequence of all of that, Creates all the problems. I'm Kathy Kaler. This is the Diskem Medical Monday. My guest, absolutely brilliant. I have to get you back here soon, <laughs> soon, soon. Uh, cardiologist Dr. Riaz Matara. He's got. He's in private practice. His practice is located in Houghton. Uh, go and look him up. I just. I just love your philosophy, your approach, the way that you are talking about food. Not. It's not a lot of doctors who talk about food, although I think that you're probably, you know, front of the line, <laughs> you know, in, in that. Look, I don't blame the. You're, th- you're yeah. looking at a human being's heart holistically. I mean, you've spoken about diet. You've spoken about hormones in our food. You've spoken about so many things that it's easy to forget that what we're really talking about is the is our heart, this magical pump that keeps our bodies going. Correct. And... Uh, it's, you're an absolute wonder. Thank, <laughs> thank you so thank much. Thank you, Kathy. So, look, I think for me it's it's not necessarily that doctors don't know. I think as part the way we were trained as doctors. Information is becoming more right, available. But also yeah. the sum total of lectures that we may have had on nutrition may have been two lectures of vitamins A to Z. And it was the dietitian or the, but I think, you know, more and more doctors are becoming more and more aware of these um, issues now and, and, of, and, and trying uh, and are discussing this with patients but more importantly patients okay and more people are more and more aware because they have access to this information and people talk about it socially and people are more aware okay so many of the patients who do come to see me are already aware of it and then just come to get it reinforced before before I let you go I think it's very important for us to talk about the difference between men and women in terms of risks for, or I think risk factors mm. for for heart failure or for even heart disease, heart attack. Um, is there a difference between how men have a heart attack and how women have a heart attack? Yeah, that's a very good question as well, Kathy. And I think also very misunderstood by both patients and by doctors. So, in fact, more women die of heart attacks than men do. This is largely because... We do the job properly. That, <laughs> that's, that's one thing. But also that because many of us as doctors don't assume that women suffer with heart disease, women present much later, and when they do present, they have more severe disease. Women are more likely to die after a bypass operation, and women present very differently to men. So typically men have this crushing chest pain in the center of their chest, and they know when it's a heart attack. So it's like an elephant. Right, an elephant standing standing on on your chest. chest, Women may have that, but many women also may just have shoulder pain, 
They may have pain in their tummy, in the upper part, just below your sternum. Uh, women may have back pain. And many women suffer with things like, for example, like nausea and uh, feelings anxious or anxiety. And these may be the hallmarks of a heart attack actually happening, but not the classic chest pain wow. that men have. Okay. So, uh, so it's important that after the menopause, okay, that women have, after the menopause, have exactly the same risk as a male of having a heart attack. So it's important that you're not just seeing your gynecologist and having a breast examination and a pap smear done, that you also, uh, depending on what your risk factors are, either annually or every, uh, every two years, you know, go and have uh, a stress ECG done or have a checkup with your doctor and just make sure your heart is also okay, okay, rather than being a surprise. So prior to the menopause, women are protected. And after the menopause, women have a similar risk as men do for having heart disease. Are there specific hormones that can have a negative effect on the heart? Yes. So let's start. Let's start from the top and go down. Okay. So thyroid conditions today are probably one of the commonest conditions that we treat in, in, in practice today. Um, both an overactive and an underactive thyroid could affect your heart. An underactive thyroid pushes up your cholesterol and over time would increase your risk of developing a heart attack. An overactive thyroid may cause things like a very fast heartbeat or an irregular heartbeat and can affect the heart in other ways as well. If you go down to the pancreas, then high insulin levels, before, years before you become diabetic already, increase the risk of gaining weight, cause a specific profile of an abnormal cholesterol profile, and can increase this inflammation in our arteries. And already at that stage, we have a high risk, a higher risk of developing heart attacks. If we then go to uh, our adrenal glands that sit on top of our kidneys, then low cortisol and low DHEA levels from our adrenal glands become independent risk factors for developing heart disease. If you're a male and you go down to the testes level, then low testosterone in relation to a high estrogen becomes an independent risk factor for a heart attack. If you go to the ovaries in women, then menopause, which means your ovaries have now stopped making estrogen and progesterone, may also increase your risk, becomes an independent risk factor for a heart attack. Then there are other things like high homocysteine levels, as we've talked about, because of low vitamin B12 levels in our diet that can cause a risk. Low vitamin D is an independent risk factor these days. So if you are not diabetic and you have low vitamin D, you have a 50% higher risk of having a heart attack in your lifetime. If you are diabetic and have low vitamin D, you have an 80% higher risk of having a heart attack in Why your lifetime. Why can't we just go and sit in the sun for 10 minutes? Because remember, the sun doesn't really give you that vit vitamin D. It changes the form of vitamin D as the blood circulates in your skin. You actually get vitamin D also in your diet from eating foods like salmon and the dairy and so on and fish. Non-grain fed. Non-grain fed. There you go. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, when you look at it, you want to try and get a holistic view on it. There are so many factors and everybody is unique and everybody is different. And the idea is to be able to look at your heart health or your overall health a little more holistically rather than 
um, waiting for you to become symptomatic, and here's a cholesterol pill, and good luck. Because even on cholesterol medication, we have not cured the problem. You know what I appreciate most about everything that you've said, and I'm going to re-listen to this to the mm. podcast of this, is that I love your approach. You know, if the body's like a car, right, and something goes wrong and the brake light goes on, the traditional medical approach has often been the equivalent of the mechanic saying to you, oh, just cut the brake lights. Mm. That'll sort it out. Here's a pull. It will fix it. But you're not getting back to the issue that your brakes actually need to be replaced. Mm. Or there's a problem or there's a leak or whatever it is. Right. And I think we really, really have to get you back here because there's so many different areas that we need to discuss. Mm. Um, but we are out of time. And thank you very, very much, Dr. Riaz Matara. How do we get in touch with you? Thank you very much, Kathy. And as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, there's just so much to talk about. There really as is. You said. There's really so much to talk about. And we've just skimmed over it. And um, I would be glad to come back. Um, look, people can find me on the Internet. Okay, there we go. And, and uh, they just need to look me up. Okay, Dr. Riaz Matara has got you. a practice in Harton, R-I-A-Z-M-O-T-A-R-A. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been Diskem Medical Monday. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy. God bless. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Diskem, pharmacist who care.